0: everybody, you can take a seat. How are you all? I'm a bit exhausted from that song. Just watching everyone on stage just uh, tired me out. That was great. Well, it's good to be in church, isn't it? Whenever I'm driving to church, I always look at the people walking their dogs or going for a run. I think, you're missing out. You're missing out. You should be in church. One day I just want to wind down the window and be like, Jesus is building his church. You're missing it out. Around the world, amazing things are happening and you're walking your dog. Bring them to church. So it's good to be in church. Um, it's been so good the last few weeks hearing from Ben about the vision over the church and all that God has in store for us this year. There's so many exciting things. I was saying to Ariel last week, I just keep wanting to like fist pump in the service and high five sort of quietly. So really exciting things happening and and I really love the word that... That Ben has spoken over this church for the year. The word arise. And so prophetic that even Brian Houston wanted to get in on the party. It's like, Brian, the Bible's big, choose another verse. But um, I realized actually before I wasn't going to say that because I thought, oh, this is on Facebook. So um, I love you, Brian. Not that you know who I am, but (laughs) you do now. Um, But I've been reflecting on that word arise and really thinking through what it means across all the areas of our life. And um, I actually sort of thought I wanted to see where else it is in the Bible. And so I started looking up and I was really interested, particularly where it was spoken about in the New Testament. And what I found out is that actually Jesus uses that word arise a fair bit. And what's really interesting is that He always uses it in relation to when he's healing someone. So you all know the story about when Jesus is in a really crowded room and there's a group of friends who want to get there, take their mate to see Jesus, but they can't get in. And so one guy comes up with a bright idea. I'm kind of assuming these are men. Um, Hey, let's cut a hole in the roof. Yes. And so they decide and they put this plan through and they lower their mate through the roof their paralytic friends in order to get them in front of Jesus and actually in that story the very literal translation of what Jesus says to that man is he says arise get up your get up off your bed and walk again when Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand again he uses that word arise and he asks the man to stretch out his hand before him and it's restored The same thing is true to a blind beggar who calls out to Jesus. Jesus says to him, arise, and then he's healed. So again and again in the Gospels, Jesus uses this word arise, and he uses it for when he's healing people, for when people are in need, for when they're suffering, for when they're in pain. And it made me think about that, that actually the call to arise is so much more powerful when you're weak, that the weaker you are, the more powerful it is to arise. Because if you were just to ask a healthy person to arise, it wouldn't be that big a deal. They'd just get up and walk over to you. Even in that song that we were just singing, Your Love is Relentless, all the young people, when they're at it, they just sprang up. But, you know, I'm only in my 30s, but I was like, oh, you know, like, (laughs) I've got to get up. It's a bit harder to arise when you're not as strong as you used to be. When I um, I was in my 20s, a couple of times a week, I would get up at 6am and go for an hour-long run. And the weirdest thing is I would enjoy it. And um, my husband always reminds me that when we were on our honeymoon, on like the second or the third day, we were staying in the Cook Islands in one of those overwater bungalows. And one morning at 6 a.m. in Paradise, I woke up and said to him, do you want to go for a run? And he just looked at me and he said, who are you? (laughs) And then he just rolled back over and went to sleep. (laughs) I think he was like, who have I married? And I'm like the energizer bunny. But um, so anyway, I've slowed down and now getting out of bed is kind of like, I, you know, I hear one of my kids and I sort of oh, roll over and hope that my feet kind of flop onto the ground correctly. So it's much harder to arise when you're weak, when you're not strong, when you're in pain. And actually that's the power because arising isn't about your strength. It isn't about your willpower, your pep talk. It's about Jesus. It's about his power and his strength, his ability to work through us, to call us to arise. So in one of the stories that I've been, that I've been looking at that features this empower, powerful word, I want to share it with you today. And um, it's one of those stories that it kind of starts off as one story, but then this other story gets sort of entwined within it. And we know that with the Bible, that's never by accident. So I want to read both stories to you. And then we're going to look at these two characters in the story who sort of at the beginning of the story couldn't seem more different. But as as we look at it and study it, we realize that actually there's lots of similarities between these two people. So I want to read the story, look at their similarities and talk about what impact it has on our lives. So you can have a look on the screen or if you want to pull out your device. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, if you have it on your phone, you can highlight that word daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I remember when I was at Hillsong Conference a few years ago, many of you will remember, that word had got out that Justin Bieber was coming. And... (laughs) I was there with compassion so we had to get there quite early to sort of set up the stand and stuff and I remember driving in at 7am if not earlier and outside one of the hotels where they thought Justin was staying was just hordes of young girls (laughs) camping out waiting for Justin and although I don't want to correlate Justin with Jesus this is a little bit like Jesus at this time of his ministry Everyone wanted a piece of him. They weren't exactly carrying Marry Me Jesus signs, but um, they were waiting for him. The crowds were waiting for him everywhere. Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus. They wanted to be near him. They were pressing in on him. As he tried to walk, they were all around. And in the midst of this crowd, a man named Jairus, who the Bible tells us was the ruler of a synagogue, so a very dignified man, an important man. He had status. He comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet. You can see just how desperate he is. And the Bible tells us that his only daughter was dying. I love that Luke adds that in. That wasn't just one of many children. It was his only daughter. So this man is desperate for Jesus' help. So then Jesus goes on his way to go to Jairus' house to help his daughter. But on his way, he's then interrupted once again. See, also in this crowd, in this swarming group of people, There's a woman who has a secret. The Bible tells us that for 12 years, she's had an issue with blood. 12 years, she's gone to every single doctor and tried to get an answer. 12 years, she's tried hope after hope after hope to be discouraged over and over again, disappointed over and over again. And she too is in that crowd. And to make matters worse, this woman is Jewish. And so that means that because she has an issue with blood, she's seen as unclean. People aren't allowed to touch her. She's not allowed to touch anyone else. For 12 years, that's the burden that she has carried. Outcast, a leftover. She's also in that crowd. So right from the beginning, we can see that this important man, the ruler of the synagogue, and then this outcast woman have something very much in common. They're both desperate. They've run out of options. They have nothing left to give, no other answers. I remember when um, I was in the Philippines a few years ago, I met a woman named Tabitha. And she lived deep in the grit and the poverty of Manila. And she, I remember walking into her home and it felt, it smelled worse in her home than outside. Because all around her house was just these piles of rubbish They were next to where she cooked. They were next to where they slept with her three children. Because what she did was that she would roam the streets every day with her baby on her back, picking collecting plastics that she would then gather in the house until she had enough that she would go and exchange a bag of plastics for 10 cents per kilogram. And that's what she used to earn enough money to try to pay and feed for her children. I met her through a Compassion Mothers and Babies Centre and she was sharing her testimony there. And she told us that her husband had left her when she was pregnant with their third child. She said it was the lowest point in her life. For Tabitha, she knew what it was to be desperate. She ended up banging on the door of the pastor's home at the local church when one of her children was sick. And the the wife of that pastor let her in and they ended up getting her into the compassion program to help her and her children Ensuring that they were able to be fed and looked after. And she was now part of that program. But she knew what it felt like to be desperate. And I'm sure that there's all of us in times in our life, whether the big or the small, where we have felt like we've hit rock bottom. We've got no other option, nothing left to give. But we feel desperate. Uh, For Christmas, my my sister-in-law gave each of my boys this little ice brick, which is in the shape of a dinosaur. There's a green one and a blue one. And whenever my son hurts himself, we always get this ice brick out of the freezer and, you know, we put it on his knee or if he's bumped his head, we put it on his head. So now Hunter, my eldest, whenever he hurts himself at the playground or in the backyard, he'll sort of start crying and he'll run up to us and say, Mummy, dinosaur! Because <laughs> he knows that that's going to help him. He knows it's going to make him feel better. And I just love the way that children, when they get hurt, they know who's going to help. They run straight to their mum or their dad. They have no worries about how they look or how they feel. They go straight to them. And I think for us as children of God, we need to get better at knowing who can help us. That friends and family and food and distractions, sure, those things can provide a short-term distraction. But only Jesus can help. We need to be at the feet of Jesus. That's what Jairus and this woman had in in common, that they fell at the feet of Jesus. That Jairus, despite his status and his importance, when he was desperate, down he went. Because he knew that Jesus was the only one who was going to help him and solve his problem. So the second thing that they had in common with these two people was that everyone else had given up hope. Uh, For this woman, she had gone to to the doctor, she'd gone to, she tried every single option. She tried the keto diet, the paleo diet, the lemon juice diet, the baby food diet, apparently that's a thing, gross. (laughs) Although I was thinking, if baby food diet is just eating the leftovers of your kids because you can't be bothered to make your own meal then, (laughs) try that one as well. But for this woman, nothing had worked. She'd been told over and over again, there's nothing we can do for you. She couldn't heal herself. And for Jairus, when he was on the way to his house with Jesus, someone came up to him and said, don't bother, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore, it's over. Even when they arrived and Jesus said, she's just sleeping, everyone laughed at him. Everyone was already crying and mourning for this little girl. Everyone else had given up hope. I remember a few years ago, my friend was doing her first triathlon and it was at the regatta centre at Penrith. So I said, I'll come down and cheer you on. And um, it wasn't like a full Ironman one, but it was still a decent distance with the three swim, bike and run. And unfortunately for my friend, she'd chosen to do her debut at a really professional event. It was kind of run by triathlon clubs, and so everyone who was there was really good. And I remember when I arrived looking around, and I just was feeling really nervous for her because everyone looked so buff and so professional. I'd never seen so much like her in my life anyway finally the event kind of started and things went downhill pretty quickly I did check with her whether I could tell this story and um, and I was sort of watching all the swimmers go past and thinking oh you know I wonder when my friend's going to come and then I sort of see this person on the horizon sort of swimming towards me and I see this person bob their head up saying where do I go where's the next boy and so you know she swims along and comes out last out of that group which was fine Anyway, then runs up and does the bike transition and then something was wrong with her bike, her her brakes weren't working so they're bringing all these officials over and technicians and they finally get the bike working but it had been a delay of about 10 minutes which any of you will know for events, that's massive. So anyway, she starts the loop and you'll know the regatta syndrome, I I can't remember but I think she had to do like 20 laps of that bike thing. And so every single time, every lap that she's doing, the crowd that was there at the beginning was just diminishing. People are going home. They're, like, packing up the witch's hat. And, um, and I'm trying to be really enthusiastic every time she comes along to make up for the fact that this once bustling, thriving event is now whittling down. And then it kind of got down to sort of last lap. And it's really only me and the race officials. And they're literally packing up behind her as she's, like, coming into the thing. And she's like trying to get the enthusiasm to run this last 5K. And um, anyway, and as she runs around, she finishes the race. And the crowd that had started at like 200 people was down to two, me and the race official. Now, for some of you, in the situation that you're in at the moment, it feels like everyone else has gone home, actually. It's just you alone fighting the battle, that everyone else has given up hope that no one else believes in that. Maybe you're believing for a lost son or a daughter to come home. Maybe you're believing for a relationship to be restored. Maybe you're believing for something in your work or your finances, but it feels like everyone else has given up hope, that everyone else is saying, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's over. It's dead. It's gone. Well, that's how these two people felt. But the third most powerful thing about these two people is that they encountered Jesus. This woman who had tried everything. It's like she then, standing in this crowd, just sc- gathered up all the scraps of her faith and she thought, I'm going to try one last time. And this woman wasn't allowed to touch anyone, she was deemed unclean. But she gathers up that faith and she reaches out to Jesus. And she doesn't touch him, but she just touches the very corner of his cloak, the tiniest little bit of the clothing that he's wearing. She just reaches out. She just has enough faith for that. And the Bible tells us that immediately her discharge of blood stopped. Immediately she was healed. And then Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter, his disciple, I think reacted any way that any of us would have reacted. Who touched you? Jesus You're bigger than Harry and Megan, bigger than Wills and Kate. Everyone's touching you. Everyone is around. What do you mean? But again, he says, who touched me? He perceived that the power had gone out of me. And so this woman trembling comes forward and she falls down before him. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, Jesus could have left this woman. She was already healed. She could have just gone off into the crowd and lived the rest of her life healed. But Jesus didn't just want to physically heal her. He wanted to restore her fully. And whatever we're facing, whether it's a physical challenge, a financial challenge, something in our relationships, God isn't just about solving a problem. He's after our heart. He wants to restore our relationship with us. And actually, that's how he shapes us. That's how he draws us closer to him. That's why he doesn't solve things as quickly or as immediately as we'd like them to be solved. Why didn't he heal her 12 years ago? Well, that's only what Jesus knows. But I do know that he restored her fully that day. And for 12 years, what had been spoken over her, that she was unclean and impure and unworthy, had been changed by one word from Jesus. When he leaned over to her and said, daughter... Not just friend, not just servant, but daughter. And actually all of us, when we encounter Jesus, he calls us daughter, he calls us son. And it doesn't matter what's stretched out behind us, what's stretched out before us, God redeems us and calls us into his family, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. And that's what Jesus did for this woman. So then finally, Jesus makes it to Jairus' house. And everyone is mourning and crying and they believe that the girl is dead. But he goes into the room and he takes three of his disciples and the girl's parents and he takes the girl by her hand. And once again, this just reminded me of the God that we serve. Jesus could have done this impressive authoritative healing from the other side of the room, but instead he comes in close. He takes her by the hand because he's a personal God. He's a God who comes in close to our situation. He takes her by the hand and he says, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Both Jairus and this woman were desperate. They were both in situations where they'd run out of options. But they both encountered Jesus. And Jesus told them to arise. To go forth forth and arise. And the word that I want us to take home today is that when all hope dies, come to Jesus and arise. When you have run out of options, when you don't have any hope left, when you are right at the bottom, when hope dies, Jesus says arise. Arise. And the thing is that in all of these stories, it's not out of their strength. It's not out of their willpower. It's out of Jesus and his strength because Jesus specializes in tough circumstances. Just before these two stories that we read in Luke, in the same chapter, Jesus has just encountered the demoniac. Many of you remember that story. He meets this guy who's just basically crazy and weird and um, he's just full of demons And he tells the demons to go out of this man, and then they go into this herd of pigs. And you'll know the story the pigs just all sort of run off the bank and go straight into the lake and they drown. And I always wonder if he got Judas to reimburse reimburse the pig owner for his loss. It's always bothered me. That poor guy wasn't his fault. But Jesus has just shown in this one short chapter that he's Lord over the demons, he's Lord over disease. And he's Lord over death. So you need to never think that God can't be Lord over your circumstance, that he can't overcome what you're facing. So the people in this time, they were waiting for a Messiah. They'd heard for decades and years and centuries that someone was coming, someone was going to redeem the people of God, someone was going to be powerful enough. And then here Jesus is. He conquers the demons, he conquers disease and he conquers death. So never underestimate what he can do in your life. Never underestimate what mountain he can move. Never underestimate what he can shift in your relationships, in your work, in your finances, in your health. Because we serve a God who is able. And we, we are called to arise because we have enough strength within us. We're called to arise because we serve a God who is able to conquer death. And see, that's not the end of this story. Jesus doesn't just end the story by healing these people. We all know that at the end of the Gospels, Jesus goes to the cross. And on that cross is where he bears our sin. Every disappointment, every regret, every shame that we've ever carried and everything that we will do in the future, Jesus took to that cross. And he died that death for us and then he went to the tomb. And for three days, all of creation waited with bated breath. What was going to happen? And on the third day, what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, it was then that God the Father called out to His Son, Arise, arise. And it was then that once and for all, the whole earth shook and Jesus defeated death and He rose once and for all so that we now can arise, that we can arise and be with Christ because of all that He has done for us. It's not by our power, by our strength, but by his. Because Jesus specializes in bringing dead things to life. So when your hope dies, come to Jesus and arise. Now some of you may not even have a relationship with Jesus. You might believe in him, you might know all about him, but you don't actually know him. And so today, we want to give you an opportunity to remember who this Jesus is, to actually experience this relationship, to experience what it is to be restored into relationship with him. Because in all these areas, Jesus took away the barriers. He removed what was stopping those people from coming to them. He called people like Jairus, who's the head of the synagogue, who fell at his feet. This woman who had struggled for 12 years, who fell at Jesus' feet, and he restored them. So whether it is that you have forgotten that you need Jesus and you need to come and fall at his feet or you don't feel good enough for him, remember that he is able to conquer whatever it is in your life, not because of what you've done but because of who he is. So if that's you today, let's all bow our heads and let's remind ourselves of who our God is and pray to him today. Lord God, we thank you that you yourself arose from the grave and from that moment in history, We know that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus, that you declared once and for all that no height, no depth, no nothing, no demon, no evil can separate us from you, Lord God. And so today we want to be declared righteous before you. We want to be restored. Father, we want to be brought into right relationship with you. So if you want to do that today, repeat this prayer after me. Let's all say it together. Jesus, I know you are Lord. I want to be in a right relationship with you. Please restore me today. May I walk in your ways, know your love, and be changed forever. Thank you for your name. Jesus, amen. What a great message that was this morning Anna. i just got to say you are a brilliant preacher and uh, not just brilliant in, in in your delivery but you are anointed god's equipped you and empowered you to do this and when you speak from this platform you speak from an authority because you live it out i love anna because she uh, is often here on a sunday with two kids by herself. Her husband, Josh, travels a lot with work and she just makes it a priority to be here. She's always holding a child and serving somewhere. And that's the kind of person we want to be on this platform because servant leadership is our pattern. And that's one of our values. And I just really love that about you, Anna. And so we just want to honor you this morning. What a great message that was. So good.